Podcasting from London, Ontario, Canada. This is the Lovers, the Dreamers, and You. An interview show where creative people talk about what inspires them to pursue their dreams and do what they love. And now, your host, Karis Thomas. Hello, everyone. This is Matt Getnatcher from The Lovers, The Dreamers, and You, live on location from the Halton Hills region in Karis' smart car. We've been away for quite some time, and we're aware of that, but we're going to get back at it with some more regular podcasts. And this is the beginning of a new year for us. It's been since last August. And it is now August 2nd, and we're going to get back at it. So, like I said, we are on location in the car. To be fair, Karis is not holding the microphone while she is driving. Um, and we just are driving back to London from the Lower Ossington Theatre in downtown Toronto uh, after seeing uh, the Lower Ossington's production of Avenue Q. Yay! Yay! And Karis, why don't you tell them, our listeners, a little bit about why we went all the way to Toronto to see a show that we have seen on Broadway, have worked on before in London last summer, and now we're in Toronto. Well, why wouldn't you travel all that distance to see Avenue Q again? I mean, it's an awesome play. Um, But yeah, you're right. We've seen it on Broadway, we've seen it on tour, and we worked on it last summer. And we went to see our good friend who played Rod last summer because he is now playing Rod and Princeton in their production of Avenue Q. Antonis Vakaris, the fabulous. The fabulous, the ever-wonderful puppeteer extraordinaire. So, watching it... I personally noticed he, let's say Antonis himself, since the last time has become very refined in his puppetry skills. Definitely an improvement, even in his acting skills as well. He's been really refined and a fantastic performance. What else have you noticed or what did you notice to that degree? Well, he was super last summer as uh, Rod. He um, really captured the flamboyancy of that character, and then he was really able to channel it through the puppet. And through our run last summer, he just got better and better and better. But to see him today in the production, he was so precise and clean and he's just he's made a huge leap forward. And some people wouldn't notice it, but it was really... It's the specificity of the puppetry that is making his performance so strong. And he is able to be subtle within the character and let it all come out. And he doesn't upstage himself. It's really wonderful to see this transformation in him. Yeah, and some of the um, small puppetry things that you wouldn't notice yeah. for in the dream sequence, let's say, when he swings... Um, you know, the puppet around and his loose arms free and he just grabs the rod and continues forward. Absolutely seamless. Yeah. And that kind of thing that you that we noticed is what makes a good puppeteer. Well, as you know, uh, we were the only people who laughed and we actually applauded at that moment. And he told us afterwards that we were laughing at, at stuff that nobody else got. But that's because we have that eye. And 
as I mean, we've seen the show so many times. We know every joke, so we're more interested and more turned on by the surprises. And they had some really neat surprises in performance and in puppetry and in staging in this version. It was cool. Yeah, definitely a lot more puppeteer choreography than I've seen in past productions. They were moving a lot more themselves as the actors. A little bit. There was sometimes over choreography, where they the puppets started to defy gravity and made it a little less believable. But it's just nice to see something different sometimes. Exactly, and this was the first production that I have seen where the actors have taken the words and the phrases totally differently um, than from the original Broadway cast recording. Let's yeah. say. It was really nice to hear emphasis on different words, on different phrases, to make whole new jokes, which was quite enjoyable to watch and, and throughout this production. Yeah, it made it fresh, which is good, because when you've seen it that many times, you you got to keep it fresh. I mean, I'd be happy to see the original Broadway cast again. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. But it's really fun to see another take. You're right. Yeah, and like when I had first originally seen it... Um, I thought I was going to go into this Broadway house and not find it funny because I knew the soundtrack inside and out. But the book itself is absolutely hilarious. And then um, sitting backstage, uh, assistant stage managing it last summer, it kind of wears it down. So I was kind of worried I'd go in, you know, to this comedic show and not laugh. But I definitely laughed really hard at some point. (laughs) And, and we, we definitely really did, did applaud at some small, interesting things that nobody else would have noticed, especially in that in that space. We're really up close and personal with the cast. Yeah, the Lower Ossington is a really cool space. It's it's small and intimate, like um, the Spirit Theater. And I don't know how many it seats, but uh, at first I was kind of up against the wall, which kind of threw me. But it got really comfortable, and it was neat to be really close to the performers and. The sound levels and and all of that sort of stuff was uh, really good. Like, what do you think of that, Matt? Yeah, sometimes when you're in the front row of a smaller space like that, you're missing something because either the speakers are over top of you and they're projecting um, and you don't get that. But in this space, the mix was fantastic. Um, You know, we've discussed we're not too sure if the band was live or not, if it was pre-recorded. Nobody was none of the band was credited in the program or anything like that but we're not too sure if it was live or not but um you noticed the overhanging invisible mics so that makes it a lot easier you're not micing individual performers you're micing the whole stage and that makes the mix really easy to to become a comprehensive thing and i thought the sound quality was fantastic one of the things that I was really impressed with, having them not being individually mic'd, was the times when uh, the couple of performers had to play more than one voice on the stage, and it didn't feel like they were throwing their voice or that they had to do a whole lot of effort in order to play two characters, and that that was really neat to see up close. Yeah, and I even noticed that they when they were doing the other voices, contrary to what puppet was on their hands... They were almost hiding behind their puppet, and that didn't obstruct any of the sound or anything like that, but you could look over at Kate Monster and hear her doing the voice of Lucy the Slut, but you don't see the performer speaking because she's being very aware to kind of stay a little bit hidden behind, but you can still hear her loud as day. 
yeah, they did a, they were clearly conscious of that kind of stuff. And, you know, having seen this version and seeing it on Broadway where you see the one performer play two characters, it's really neat to contrast that with what we did by breaking up all of those parts last summer. Um, it's kind of nice to have the more voices for the, the thicker sound in the in the big group numbers, but it's so neat to watch somebody have to do that double duty and switch from one puppet to the next and stuff. Yeah, that... Yeah, and that's one of the things in our production last summer when I went and sat in on the first rehearsal to take notes was I, I did miss the switching of the puppets and, you know, the, the shorthanded for the, you know, more puppets than performers, but the onstage switching. I did miss that because there's a very nice chore choreography that needs to be done to be able to do that and to make that seamless and when it happens flawlessly it's a beautiful thing to see on stage and I miss that and it was nice to see it come back in this production yeah the closing number is the only time when you really get to see all of them there together and it can be so tricky to puppeteer right and left handed um, and make them all stay believable all the way through the number agreed um, so let's move on uh, let's maybe talk about some of the performances that we saw um, in this kind of show, you see the puppet and the puppeteer. So it is really hard. There is a fine line of watching the puppeteer over... There's a fine, fine line. Wow, that was so out of tune for me. Um, there's, there's the fine line there where you can't overact as the performer because you're going to take away from the puppet and people are going to start watching you and not the puppet. Um... I personally noticed that with the performer playing Kate Monster, um, I think she did play the character a little too exuberantly, and she also let it come through her own body too much, where it detracted from watching the puppet, um, and I was focusing more on her as a performer. I don't know if you noticed the same thing or not, or with anybody else. I think for her uh, performance, I found it most difficult when she was playing Kate Monster to focus on the monster. I found her balance much stronger when she was Lucy the Slut. Um, and as we were talking with the musical director afterwards, she had directed the original incarnation. And maybe this is, I, I wasn't clear if she'd originally played Kate Monster. And so it would be interesting to see how it's progressed and changed over the number of times they've done this but her exuberance worked better for Lucy than it did for Kate in my opinion yeah it worked for Lucy um, as loud and obs as obnoxious as I found it once Lucy was on her hand it worked it worked yeah. for the character Kate is a more conservative reserved person um, and it just I just found it didn't work she was too excitable for who she's supposed to be and for the lines that she's given to deliver her performance of the song It's a Fine Fine Line was really strong but I found I was watching her the actor and not the puppet and I kept thinking wow this is a brilliant audition piece for you you sing this so well and you should definitely use it but I'm watching you and and so that I kept struggling with that yeah I was the same I definitely was watching her during that song and then I even turned to you and I was like she's got a voice like it was beautiful performance of it but i did watch her and not her puppet um and i don't know i personally with any other of the performers 
I didn't really have that issue. It was really noticeable, though, when Kate Monster was on the other performer's hand, you know, for the, the silent bits, how much more refined and, and personable I think Kate Monster was to what she is in the show. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, um, the gal who played one of the Bad News Bears, she's a really strong puppeteer and very clear, very clean in her work. And I think she should, I'd love to hear her sing Kate Monster and see if she could do it. Um, it would be interesting. The, the other performer I noticed was the gentleman who played um, Nikki and Trekkie. He did a great job, but as it said in his bio, he'd played uh, Brian in a previous version of the show. And I would have loved to have seen him as Brian because that was the character I, I could feel that he would be good at that part. Yeah, he almost personified Brian. Like you could, you just—he's on stage. You just know that that is, you know, who could play Brian. Um, and we actually saw the musical director playing Brian because their other two Brians were in another show this morning and were not around. So we got to saw see someone totally not in his element. Knowing him personally, I know he doesn't enjoy being on stage, <laughs> but he definitely bit the bullet and. Uh, uh, you know, I couldn't tell that he had never done it before, you know. He delivered a really strong character. And up against his Christmas Eve, who was amazing. She was wonderful. I think they were really enjoying playing with each other. And it was clear that they were friends. And that really helped, I think, for him in his just doing a few performances. Yeah, you could tell that he was really comfortable alongside her um, and felt confident. And that's always nice, especially when you're jumping into a show like that. You need to be confident in your other performers that you're there um, or that are there with you and they are going to support you and be there for you if you end up screwing up or missing a line or something like that. You know they're there. And we actually saw that happen. Or dropping your wedding invitation out the window. <laughs> yes, that was actually really clever. What's this about us getting married as the invitation slowly fluttered down? And then he was like, can you just get that for me, please? It w that was pretty funny. I, I really enjoyed that. And then a puppet picked it up. I loved that. <laughs> loved it. Yeah. And then on the topic of little flubs, um, also Nikki. Nikki came out and turn ar turned around and said, oh, hi, Rod. And Rod goes, well, Princeton goes, I'm Princeton. And, and the audience fell apart. Yes. And, and then so did the performers, which was absolutely phenomenal. I love yeah. seeing that kind of thing on stage. And they got it back together again, but it, it took a bit because well, it was so intimate that they were really reacting with us and to us. And it, I love that about live theater. Yeah, I really like, and especially in that small intimate space where you can almost drop yourself and go, oh, oops, you know, and have that little moment with the audience and then snap right back to it and, and you know, jump back into the magic. But their puppets never ceased to be. Their puppets stayed with them and stayed alive through that little segment. I loved that. Yeah, even with the, the few words that they said that weren't character, they didn't move the puppets, but the yeah. puppets never dropped. Yeah. The, the illusion was never taken away, which was very, I don't know if it was a conscious thing or not, or if it's just because you have a puppet on your hand. Well, I've seen Steve Whitmire drop the puppet when he, there was a mistake in a performance with him with Dave Goals. Um, no one will ever see footage of this. This was their comedy special in Montreal, and the monitors got accidentally taken away before they were supposed to, and Steve and Dave had nothing to read anymore, and then they cracked up laughing, and, and they tried to stay in character for a bit. Dave stayed in character longer, um, but Steve just cracked up laughing, and, and Kermit dropped which was hilarious. Hilarious. 
See, even the professionals sometimes have a little mess up. So that's what live theater is all about. I've seen it on... That technically wasn't live theater. I mean, it was live, but they were filming it, so they were able to stop and start again. Well, there you go. But you were watching the live the performance happen yes. live. So, so you know, you got to see the kind of mess-ups that do happen when you're, you're going at it. Um... Okay. Well, Karis, now we're at the point of the show where we would like to talk about the future. Where do you want to take the lovers, the dreamers, and you? Literally, I'd really love to take it all across the planet. If somebody wants to get a Kickstarter going, um, I, I, I don't know, Matt. You and I have talked about all kinds of fun things, and I think we, the difficulty we've had in the past is getting our guests scheduled so that we can all come around the microphone together and so we're going to shake it up and do some like this not necessarily in a car um but some conversations with you and me or carrie or whatever and then have some guests and we'll we'll talk about different topics like for example you have not seen all of the muppet movies yet i have not but we're going to fix that correct we are and we can debrief or discuss uh, some of the films. Like, for example, I introduced The Dark Crystal to you recently. Want to talk about that? You did. And it was a movie that I didn't know existed. And if I ever saw it, I, did not, I would never guess that it was a Henson Company production. It's... Why? Well, sure, it's puppets, but you, everybody knows the Hensons for fun kids' things and the Muppets and all that kind of stuff. Oh, God. Oh, oh, Jim is rolling over in his grave because he never wanted to be considered a kid's entertainer. That's why he did The Dark Crystal. That's one of the reasons. Yeah, and and just to see that side, because I've only known the Muppets, and to see, I almost look at it as like an experimental piece. Yeah. You know, like the, the things that he's created and the puppets that he created for it were fantastic and totally different from other things that you you see like in the Muppets and all that and the one thing that I found really interesting about it and I didn't tell you this is in every scene something was moving and alive there was not one scene where even in in the marsh in the woods you know the flowers or the cattails would move and be alive or they would morph into something there was never a time where it was just a landscape. There was always something extra, and I absolutely loved that about the film. Well, as a visual artist and a sculptor, I figured you had to see this film, and I wanted to know from that lens what you thought of the what they'd achieved. Yeah, no, I think very creative and inspiring because it's things that you don't see every day with puppets. The, the just the way things happen, and, and even in cinematography in general. The amount of work and effort and thought that went into every little bit, the, all the background stuff um, and imagery was all thought about. And you can see that, that that thought process was there. And it was everything was 100% creativity and inspired. And I, and I found that just awesome to sit there and watch. Isn't it sad to think that at the time when it came out, it was not well received. It was not understood, and he was actually pretty crushed by what he considered a a, a big defeat to, a, of this project. And it's 
again, it's sad that he didn't get to live long enough to see how popular it is with his fans all over the world and how it's become one of those sort of cult classics. Yes, it, it is always sad, but it's almost a reality of the art world. When you do something like that, it's usually never well received until years later and sometimes you are passed away. You know, Van Gogh had only sold one painting before he died and it was to his brother and now, you know, he's he's a name and all you know, a name in all himself, um, in the art world and everybody knows who he is and he didn't get to see that. Um, so it is sad to see that happens, that things aren't appreciated in that way. It, to be more recent, the Rocky Horror Show wasn't well received, but everybody is fairly still around to be able to see what it's turned into, which is great that it's gotten to happen. Yeah. But, you know, it is sad when you have to move on and not know the full effect of your work. Well, nowadays, like for an example with Firefly, when something gets canceled before its time and the fans um, cry out for more or say it shouldn't have been canceled or or whatever, because it's still too soon. Any Firefly fans out there, we all know that we're still crying over that fact. Um, the reaction, the immediacy of the reaction nowadays when something is panned or canceled or taken away from us it is so much more immediate. So artists who think that their work wasn't appreciated get the feedback that much faster and that much stronger nowadays. And it's really cool that we can interact with artists that way now that we couldn't then because there was no way back then for all of the people who loved Dark Crystal to really let Jim know that we don't care what the critics think. It's amazing. And, you know, we didn't buy enough tickets, but we still loved it and you should feel proud of it. But now it's up to us to carry on his legacy, spread it around and keep it around for a long time so that his family who are still here can can see that appreciation that we have and they can at least be happy and when they move on they can take that with them and bring it to them yeah so uh the next one up i think that we're gonna that i'm gonna sub subject you to although i know you're positive about it so it's not painful um you've not seen the great muppet caper so i think that's the next one up you should be excited it's a good time yes and we're gonna watch it while we prepare um, patterns, felt, fur, all this kind of lovely stuff for our next puppet monster making workshop at the Palace Theater. Woohoo! So that'll be fun. It's going to be puppets all around. Puppet Mania and Cares' living room. But it's always Puppet Mania and Cares' living room. So w <laughs> what are we talking about, right? Uh, that's right. It kind of is. I try to keep it contained to one room, but it, it does tend to spill over. It's the same as Brock with all of his swords. He can never keep it contained. Swords, guns, and puppets. Yeah. What more can you want out of life? Uh, musicals. Musicals. Well, musical puppets. There we go. With swords. Yeah. Musical puppet, puppet, sword puppetry. Yeah. <laughs> musical sword puppetry. That's next. Yes. But getting back on topic a little bit, in the future we are looking, you know, we did discuss um, me doing some art-related podcasts, either solo art history things or, you know, reviewing some art and having Karis ask questions. Yeah, you could take me to an art gallery and I could ask all kinds of dumb questions and you could make me smarter. Yeah, we could visit, um, you know, like Museum London and just record us going around. Yeah, if they let us have a microphone in there. I think they will. We're not taking photos, so it's all right. Yeah. But yeah, do you think we should wrap this up now? 
Sure. Uh, hopefully we'll have something soon for people and that we will actually be on the air a little more regularly and uh, keep the podcast and the blog um, more consistent in the next little while. Yes, we are. With the amount of work I have to do for the YouTube channel, I'm going to channel that into this as well so that we can keep on it because we talk about it a lot. We just never do anything. So now we're gonna. So now we're gonna. And on that note, we'll leave you guys hopeful and wanting more. You know, nothing is better than a little desire. So we'll leave you with that. And we'll sign off for now. So thanks for listening. And we will talk with you soon. See you next time on The Lovers, The Dreamers, and You. Thanks for joining us at The Lovers, The Dreamers, and You. We'd love to hear from you, and you can do that at theloversthedreamersandyou.com or by finding us on Twitter or Facebook. This has been a Luke Bainbridge production. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, and we'll see you next time for another edition of The Lovers, The Dreamers, and You. Life's like a movie, write your own ending, keep believing, keep pretending, we've done just what we've set out to do, thanks to the lovers, the dreamers, and